Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the First Generation Podcast. Today, I was supposed to be joined by my co-host, Patrick, but as everybody knows, he lives in Singapore. And with the recent time change, it's 13 hours difference now. So he's probably still sleeping. So he can still join us at any point. Hopefully he will. But my guest today is Thomas, and we're going to talk about the recent U.S. elections that took place. Hello, Thomas. Hello. So the main uh, question that I get from my friends abroad is just, you know, what, how in the hell does U.S. elections work? It seems so complicated. And after 12 years of living in the United States, I'm still confused about it. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite confusing here, especially because uh, our system of government is a bit different than uh, much of like Europe and stuff. So, for example, um, our president is the head of state and the head of government, which that's not true in most of Europe, especially like Western Europe. And that means that the president is direct. Uh, well, the president is elected by the people, sort of. We'll get into the sort of in a bit. While you have the legislative branch, which is sort of its own thing, where you have two branches, the Senate, which is the upper branch, which consists of a hundred members, and each state gets two members, which is actually very strange if you think about it, considering the fact that Wyoming has, I believe, about 600,000 people, might be even less, and California has somewhere around 50 million, maybe not 50 million, but like 40 million people, I think. Mm-hmm. And they get the same representation in the Senate. So that's kind of weird. And then you do have the House of Representatives, which is the lower branch. And there are 435 members in the House of Representatives. And it is proportional. So Wyoming, there's one House seat. And in California, there are 53 House seats. So that is a lot better. How did then, it be, how did, sorry, how did it come to this disproportion? How did it get there? Is it because like people in California just started, you know, reproducing faster and it just stayed that way? Or well, originally we had like the thirteen colonies, and they of course gained independence and became the United States. And there was a big debate about like, oh, should we have power be spread equally between the states. So basically like each state gets an equal say, or should we have it more proportionally, like the bigger states get more of a say than the smaller states. And eventually kind of the compromise was, okay, well, you'll have the uh, House of Representatives, which is directly elected by the people, and you have districts, and the districts are completely proportional, or at least they're as proportional as you can be. It's not always perfect, but they're generally pretty good. And then you have the Senate, where each state gets two um, senators, and they're elected by the state legislatures. Now, we don't do that anymore because we have the 17th Amendment, which uh, I believe that was passed sometime in the 1900s. And that means that now the people in each state directly elect each senator. But it's just kind of this weird antiquated thing that you have... Each uh, each state having the same number of senators, regardless of how big they are. That's a very kind of outdated thing, and that was also back. That was also more prominent um, 
that was more important in the 1800s because the states did a lot more then. Like now, the states just do a lot less. The federal government does more. Like back in the 1800s, there was no federal income tax, for example. And now you, now if you're in America, you would know that there is a federal income tax. Um, so that's just kind of this weird quirk in our system. And then that also, if mind if I continue about the president? No, go ahead. Yeah, that also creates this. That's also why we have 538 um, electors for our president, because I talked about how we elect the president. Well, we sort of do. It's not it's not a direct election. What we do is each state elects uh, each state votes on electors. And these electors are bound to the candidate that wins each state. So, for example, I'm in Washington state. People here voted, I believe, by about 19 points for Democratic uh, former Vice President Joe Biden. We didn't actually really vote for Biden. We voted for electors who agree to represent Biden at the meeting of the uh, Electoral College in December, I believe. I don't remember the exact date, but it's in December. And those electors will uh, vote for the candidate that won each state. Now, it is possible that they can break and vote their conscience. So, for example, it is possible that you could have, uh, let's, I think Washington State has 12 electoral votes. It's possible you could have one or two of them that say, I don't care, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump because I like him. Now, a lot of states are starting to restrict that, but a lot of states don't. I don't know if Washington State is one of the states that restricts if they're electors can vote faithlessly. That's what they call it when you don't vote for the uh, chosen candidate. And usually that requires like some sort of a fine or something. But I doubt that people would do that on the elect. Uh, I doubt that electors would do that just because that would cause such an uproar. If uh, electors did do that, like you can imagine what would happen if you had a 268 to 270 electoral college and then three uh, let's say that Biden is 270 and Trump is 268 and like three electors broke for Trump that were intended for Biden and swung the election to him. Like, I don't know what would happen there. There'd be mass riots and chaos, so it wouldn't be worth it. But um, yeah, so that's kind of that. And then, of course, the Electoral College is in all the states and they're all, with the exception of two they're all winner take all. The so for example, if Biden gets 60% in the state and Trump gets 35% and some third party candidate gets 5%, then Biden gets all of those states electoral votes. Same if it's reversed where you have Trump with 70% and Biden with 30%, Trump would get all the that state's electoral votes, which is which could cause some really misleading maps. Like, for example, in 1984, uh, Reagan versus Mondale, it was 525 to 13, I believe. Reagan got 525 electoral votes. Mondale got uh, 13 electoral votes. And that's because Reagan swept every state except for Minnesota and the District of Columbia, which uh, D.C. gets electoral votes, but not senators and representatives, which is another thing. It's not super relevant here, so I won't get into it, but uh, mm -hmm. that that looks like a landslide. And I mean, 
it was a pretty crushing defeat for Mondale, but he did not end up, he did not win like 10% of the popular vote or something. Like he still won like whatever, 38, 37, 36% of the popular vote. He just happened to get demolished on the electoral college. And that also, the other thing about the electoral college is it really discourages uh, third parties because uh, the only way to run a successful third party campaign under the electoral college is to be concentrated in one area. Like you, uh, the closest we got recently to a third party uh, candidate winning in uh, a state was in 2016. There was a guy named Evan McMullen who ran mm-hmm. as an independent candidate and he put most of his energy in Utah because Utah is a very conservative state, but the conservatives there who are Mormons were not big fans of Trump. So he was hoping to gain a lot of never Trump conservative voters who didn't want to vote for Hillary either because she was a Democrat. And he got about 22% of the vote. He did not win. He didn't even come in second, but he did come in a pretty strong third. So uh, that was the closest in the past probably three or four elections that someone has gotten to winning electoral votes. But yeah, that's another kind of thing about the Electoral College. And it's very much debated because uh, proponents of the Electoral College like how, for example... Um, you can't just spend time going to LA and New York city and Seattle and San Francisco and just like going between those four cities trying to garner up votes because under an, if you had a national popular vote where everyone just directly elected uh, the president, then that's exactly what people would do. They would just go to urban centers and try to get out all the votes. But because California, New York and, um, Washington state are also democratic, then no one campaigns there in the general election. And you go to states like Pennsylvania and Michigan and Iowa. Because it's like pretty much clear that they're going to not change, right? Yes. They're going to stay So they're not wasting any money or resources on that. Exactly. Like if you're a, if you're a Republican and if you're a Democrat too, why the heck would you campaign in California in the general election? It is guaranteed to go to the Democrat. Now, I mean, in 30 years, that may be different. But now, I mean, it went to Biden by over 30 points this time. It went to Hillary by over 30 points in 2016. So there's really no way that uh, a Republican could pick it up, at least in the next couple years. So there's no reason that anyone would go to California. And same with like Tennessee. Like Tennessee is a very Republican state. There's no reason for a Democrat or a Republican to go there just because they know it's going to go to the Republicans. So, so the, the last, the first election that I really paid attention to was in 2016, the last one. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that Hillary wanted the popular vote, but she still lost. So is that because of this stuff that you were talking about? Some states, even with a larger population, uh, they can still somehow swing the electoral college. How does that work? Like, what did she lose exactly? Well, yeah. So that's actually happened a couple times. So that happened in 1876, uh, Hayes versus Tilden. Um, it happened in 18, 1880. 
eight, I think, which was Cleveland versus Harrison. It happened in 2000, Bush versus Gore. And then it happened mm-hmm. in 2016, Clinton versus Trump. So it's not a super rare occurrence. I mean, it's not super common, but it's not unheard of. And basically the reason that that happens is because um, in the Electoral College, small states have an overwhelming say, an overwhelmingly, uh, they have a proportionally large say on who gets to become the next president because the Electoral College is determined by the House of Representatives in each state plus the two senators. So for example, Wyoming has three electoral votes. Texas has 38, I believe, um, or 36. I think it's 30, 38. Yeah, 38. Uh, Wyoming is not, what is that? Wyoming is not one thirteenth the size of Texas population-wise. It is a lot less, but it still has a large say. And smaller states recently have especially trended to go, tended to go Republican, which that's not always true. Like there are some small states that go Democratic, but more small states go Republican than go Democratic. And larger states, with the exception of Texas, um, although that's starting to change, there really aren't that many super large, safe Republican states. So that kind of creates some weird situations there. And then also it just depends on how your share of the vote is spread. Like, for example, uh, Hillary, she did very well in California. I She did even better than Obama did in California. But that was offset by the fact that she did terrible in the Rust Belt. So those are states like Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, um, Minnesota, she still won Minnesota, but those other three she lost by very narrow margins, less than a point each. Mm-hmm. And that meant that literally about a about a hundred thousand votes spread across all those states could have flipped the election from Trump to Hillary. And Trump support, there were a lot less safe states for Trump. Like, if you look at a map and you look at, like, the states that are decided by under 10%, you'll notice that if you exclude those states, the Democrat always has a big advantage. Like, the Republicans are always at a disadvantage when it comes to states that are decided by uh, over 10%. But once you get into those swing states, a lot of those just start narrowly going Republican. And that could change, but especially now with this whole urban-rural divide we're seeing... I think that's just going to get more and more clear. And I think you're just going to see more Clinton Trump scenarios where you have the Republican winning the popular vote. Sorry, the Democrat winning the popular vote and the Republican winning the electoral college. Do you, uh, well, with the recent stuff that happened just a couple, a week ago, a little over a week ago, um, it seemed like at some point on the day it was kind of seemed like Trump was winning. And then everybody woke up in the morning and it changed. Now, I I believe it had to do, people are saying it had to do with the mail-in ballots because the Democrats were more likely to mail their votes in. Is that 
exactly what happened or is there something else taking place? Well, there are a couple of factors there. One is the fact that uh, President Trump had repeatedly said multiple times that mail-in ballots are bad and that you shouldn't use them and that they're going to cause a fraudulent election. So that means that you're going to have a lot of Republican voters who just aren't going to be voting by mail. And it's also worth mentioning that in a lot of states, the reason that people used mail-in ballots is because they didn't want to go to the polls because of a fear of COVID. And that meant that... Uh, I'm sorry, if you hear my dogs in the background. Oh, okay. Uh, apologize to the listeners and everybody. But. And that meant that uh, a lot of Democrats were going to vote by mail, while Republicans, who are a bit less concerned about COVID in general, were going to vote in person. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that a lot of states, they made these laws where it said, you, can, you can't report, you can't start counting mail-in ballots um, until after the, uh, the polls close. So after people have voted. You can't start counting the mail-in ballots. So that led to very, very, very slow um, counting in many states, like Pennsylvania and Nevada. Like Those states took a really long time to count their mail-in ballots, while as a state like, whereas a state like Florida, they were able to count some mail-in ballots before the polls closed. They didn't report them, but they counted them. So that's why like three hours in, after Florida's polls closed, you already got like 55 to 60% of the results in, maybe even more. And because of this, you had a lot of the in-person vote going heavily for Trump while there were all these mail-in ballots that hadn't been counted that were going for Biden by very, very, very big margins, margins like 85 to 15 or something massive like that. And that just caused the map to change. Like, for example, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, well, especially Wisconsin and Michigan, I went to bed. Those states were both red. Like, they were both solidly red. But there weren't that many mail-in ball- ballots counted yet. And then when I got up, they were both blue. And that's because they were counting the mail-in ballots and they were skewing the results for Biden. And it looks like Biden's going to win Michigan by about three points, and he's going to win Wisconsin by about 0.7. So still close, but definitely a Biden win. And then Pennsylvania, they were especially slow, and it took them probably about two or three days to count all of the mail-in ballots. And then now it looks like Biden's going to win there by about 0.7. And that's some of the – sorry, go ahead. Oh, and that scenario that I've been talking about is called the Red Mirage. And it was actually predicted back in, I believe, August or September that you would have all these mail-in ballots that would come in after Election Day and they would end up taking what seemed to be an apparent Trump win and turning it into a Biden win. So it's it's not a very surprising result if you have been paying attention to this stuff for a super long time, super closely. But for many people who just kind of tuned in for the last couple weeks, 
and didn't really know about the way that the votes were counted, it looked pretty surprising. Like, whoa, Trump's got this in the bag. I think he's going to get a second term. Yeah. Uh, well, some of the states, and I know my state, including like Ohio, was actually the the vice versa happened. You know, it was Democrat at first, and then it flipped to red. So do you know what happened there? Well, there's a combination of things that happened there. The first thing is that they are one of the states that allowed mail-in ballots to be counted before the polls closed and not released. Like you obviously couldn't see the results of the mail-in ballots before the polls closed, but people were already counting them. So you already had a lot of the vote in very early. So very similar to Florida. And then also it probably is also just that a lot of the urban counties with um, where the big cities are were I don't know about Ohio in particular, but they were probably reporting pretty early, while as a lot of the more rural counties were probably reporting a lot later. And that happens where some states, the urban counties, will um, report their results faster, and some states, the rural counties, will report their results faster. Is it, is it safe to say now, basically, that Biden has won the election? If you want to be like the most, like the most sort of, well, there's a very, very, very tiny chance. Like if you want to be that kind of a person, then technically we don't know yet because the electors haven't voted on the electoral college. And again, I was talking about faithless electors and Mm -hmm. I guess it's technically theoretically possible that uh, the faithless electors could have a mass defection from Biden into Trump or to someone else. And uh, I guess it's also possible that Trump could win some of these lawsuits, but he would have to win a lot of them. And they've been going very terribly for him. These lawsuits about voter fraud, he's been he's been uh, alleging that there are numerous widespread cases of voter fraud that are impacting the election results in a massive way, which we can get into that later if you want. But Mm -hmm. I don't really see a path for Trump right now. All the states have been called. uh, Georgia was called today. Georgia was one of the closest, maybe the closest. It looks like Biden's going to win there by, by about 0.3, um, which is interesting because a Democrat hasn't won Georgia since 1992. Not even Obama could win it in 2008. But there's really no path for Trump if you exclude faithless electors, which, again, I explained. It's not going to happen. That would cause mass riots and uh, civil unrest or... Um, lawsuits which again he would have to win pretty much all of them at this point which is looking like it's not going to happen so you can basically say biden has won and i see all these people saying oh the media doesn't call elections uh stop calling biden the presidential elect the president elected but it's like really i mean not only would trump have to flip one state he would have to not only would trump have to manage to convince like the Georgia uh, courts to rule the state for him by assumingly just like declaring a bunch of mail-in ballots invalid. But he'd have to do that in Georgia. He'd have to do that in Pennsylvania. And he'd have to do that in either Nevada or Arizona. And right now, I just don't think he can do it in three or four states. Is there, uh, so how is that working? How would that work for Trump? I know he tried to sue the state 
of Michigan, I believe. And what what are his options? How does he go about changing that? Well, I'm not a legal expert, but the main the main thing is basically there are a lot of ballots that are coming in really late. And they are ballots that are often postmarked on election day or the day before election day, but they're reaching the polling places after election day. So people voted on, they, they voted like at the right time, but due to like mail traffic or something like that, they've reached the polling places a bit late. And a lot of states had laws saying, okay, you can't count these ballots, but some states changed their laws where they said, okay, you can count these ballots. And Trump is trying to contest a lot of those ballots because those ballots are mail-in ballots and they will go democratic because mail-in ballots just tend to go democratic unless your state is an all-male state like Washington state, which is the state that I live in where everyone votes by mail. But it seems like that is the main kind of thing he's trying to contest. There's some other stuff too. Like there were some ballots in Arizona that he claimed were illegally thrown out. And it's actually kind of ridiculous. I believe it was 170 ballots he was contesting where it's like, okay, you're down, you're down like 11,000 and this isn't going to help you that much. Like you're not going to win with these 170 ballots, but he tried. And I don't actually even know the result of that case, but it is irrelevant. And then some of them are just like, some of them are just like, oh, voter fraud and him just alleging like, oh, there's widespread voter fraud and he's calling for recounts, which I'm totally fine with recounts. I think recounts are should be allowed for anyone. I mean, I would be annoyed if someone uh, requested a recount in California just because it's not close and it would just take time. But if you want to recount in Wisconsin, then sure, go ahead. But it's actually pretty unclear to a lot of people what he's trying to do. But a lot of people just think he's trying to sow some doubt. And my prediction for what's going to happen is I think that Trump is going to sometime in December, he is going to say something along the lines of there was a lot of voter fraud. I might have won without the voter fraud, but I'm just going to leave and remember that there's fraud and that this election might have been stolen. So I think he'll leave, but he won't really formally concede. But that's my prediction. Mm -hmm. So we'll actually have to see what happens. And if you're listening to this in December, then we'll see if I'm right or if I'm wrong on this one. (laughs) And I I believe that the time is ticking. So whatever Trump decides to do, he only has till December, right? Whatever action he wants to take. Yeah, there are some weird scenarios that have been suggested. Like, for example, I don't know if he's still currently pursuing this, but one idea that was floated around a lot was the idea that some states should just not send electors to the Electoral College. I believe that was floated for Pennsylvania. So basically what that would mean would mean that these states were all states that Biden has won. That's what Trump's suggesting. Basically, if you pick off enough of these states, then you would just have – Biden wouldn't win. He wouldn't have the magic number of 270. So that could cause some chaos, especially involving the House of Representatives – where if you don't reach 270 electoral votes, so that could either be a 269, 269 tie, 
or some weird bizarre world situation where a third party candidate ha- sweeps in and takes enough of the uh, electoral votes where um, takes enough of the electoral votes where no one gets to seventy, then the election goes to the House for the president. And it goes to the Senate for the vice president. It's pretty straightforward in the Senate where the senators just vote for who they want to be vice president. I actually don't know what would happen there if there was a tie because the vice president breaks ties in the Senate. So I don't know. Would you have the vice president breaking the tie by voting for themselves? I don't know. That would be weird. And that is very unlikely. But uh, the House, they vote as states and each state gets one vote which is very strange. So basically Alaska gets one vote and they have one representative, but then all of the representatives of California have to collectively decide together who to support. Now they would support Biden because most of the representatives in California are Democrats, but there are some States like uh, Maine where it could get weird because you'd have one democratic. No, Maine has two Democrats, but there are some States where it could get weird because they're because uh, they have like a split electorate. Like I think Minnesota now has four Republicans and four Democrats, and I don't know what would happen there. One side would have to budge for uh, Biden or Trump there, but this election's not going to get to the House. This strategy of Trump just trying to like have states not vote in the electoral college is not going to work. But yeah, we'll see. Okay, so about the third parties, um, for a lot of people, myself including, who were kind of like, we don't like Trump, we're not so sold on Biden, and there's not really an option out there. And if you go and vote third party, a lot of people yell at you and get angry because they would say that you're throwing away your vote. Do you see that changing at all? And how would that change if it does? Well, it's really hard right now because you do have some third parties. The libertarians are a third party. They believe in libertarianism, which I'm assuming a lot of people who are listening know what that is. But if you don't, it's basically just small government for any, for everything. So basically, uh, the whole joke about libertarians is uh, I believe that uh, gay couples should be able to defend their marijuana uh, farms with assault rifles or something like mm-hmm. that. It goes something like that. I don't remember the exact joke. And then you have the Green Party, which is basically like a more left-wing version of the Democratic Party. Like, I don't know if they would describe themselves as socialists, but a lot of the members are socialists. And they're also really big into environmentalism. And their environmental goals are often a lot more ambitious than either party's goals on the environment. But the problem with third parties right now, and I do have to mention, because someone probably wants to hear about this, Kanye West ran a third party campaign (laughs) under the birthday party. (laughs) But uh, he only got about 60,000 votes, at least as of now. Maybe a little bit more after all the results are certified. So that that was a failure. Like... You're Kanye West, and you couldn't even break a hundred thousand. Like that's uh, that's not great. 
But well, I think that's more like because he wasn't serious and people could not seriously vote for him because yeah. he didn't have any policies. He didn't have any idea. Like, what is he going to do? I have to push back on that. I mean, people didn't <laughs> think he was serious, but I feel like he thought he was serious. Like, he went on podcasts talking about running for president. He did rallies, which a lot of people forget about. They weren't successful like they were their rallies were all they were all a mess but he did do rallies and then yeah so that's just a total that's a mess but as far as you talked about with third parties the problem with uh third parties right now is in order to build a successful third party you basically either have to do one of two things you need to either get rid of our voting system which is called first past the post where it's basically you just vote for the candidate you like, and then your vote goes towards that candidate. And that is very hard for third parties because let's say that you're in a swing state and um, let's say that you pref- that you lean right. So you lean conservative. You're, you will like the Libertarian Party, but um, you don't really like Trump. You don't really like Biden, but you, you'd like Biden less than you like Trump. So if you vote Libertarian Party, then you're basically helping the candidate who you like the least. Because if you if you're on Trump, but you're like, oh, I really don't like Biden, then uh, you're basically helping Biden by voting for the third party because that's kind of a wasted vote in a sense. Because yeah. it could have gone to Trump, but it didn't. And same with the Green Party, where like the Green Party. Uh, if you're an environmentalist and you really like the Greens and you're kind of eh with the Democrats and you're like, oh, I hate the Republicans and you vote for the Greens, that's a vote that could have gone to the Democrats. So that's why uh, third parties, they tend to like to campaign in very safe states like California. And they do very well in a lot of those states marginally, like in third party standards, like they'll often get like four to five percent of the vote there, depending on the election. Even within the parties, like let's say in Democrats and even in Republican Party, like Donald Trump, in Democrats you have uh, Bernie Sanders and Yang, who don't really fall into that, you know, old school Democratic politician, more like a social Democrat kind of a person. Is he, uh, are those kind of candidates going to be becoming? what I want to say, like becoming Democrats to be one of the parties or are they going to go the, the other route and become a third party? And because we, I see that in coastal cities and other states, more of social Democrats are getting elected into the government, you know, like representatives and all that. So what do you think was going to happen there? Well, uh, before I get to your point there, I just want to kind of finish up what I was saying before, which is, that the main the main way to try to get a third party is you have to find a candidate that will appeal fairly evenly to both Democrats and Republicans. Like for example, in 1992, Ross Perot, who's a te- who is a tech billionaire, he's not alive anymore, but he was a tech billionaire, and his policies, which was kind of a mix of uh, free trade is bad and um, balance the budget and some other stuff, but it was very appealing to many Democrats and many Republicans. 
And he ended up getting about 19% of the vote in the general election. He didn't win any state. He didn't win any of the states because of the electoral college, but he did end up getting about 19% of the popular vote. So that's the last showing where a third party has gotten over 10% of the vote. But as far as your question goes about uh, uh, sort of the Democrats, like the Biden wing, wing versus the Sanders wing versus the Yang wing and stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's kind of a big debate there. I mean, you sort of have your you have your kind of old school Democrats, as you talked about, sort of the Bidens, the um, Bill Clintons, those kind of people. Then you have your sort of uh Social Democrats, uh, sometimes a lot of those people like to call themselves democratic socialists, which uh, some some of them are, some of them aren't, um, like Bernie Sanders and AOC. Yang is an interesting one. I'm actually a pretty big fan of Yang. Uh, he is He's kind of hard to pin down. He does share some things in common with Bernie Sanders. He does have a fair number of differences with Bernie Sanders. And he has a lot of ideas that just aren't that talked about, so they're not really left or right ideas. But uh, it is true when people say that, oh, in other countries, Joe Biden and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would not be in the same party. That's absolutely true. It's just that we have a very strong two-party system. And if the Bernie Sanders AOC wing were going to split off and create a progressive party or something then that would doom Democrats because you would basically have 10% of their base, maybe even more, maybe more like 15 or 20% uh, switching over to this party and voting for them in swing districts too, where it's like, I mean, they could maybe try to exclusively run in safe blue areas, but I have the feeling that they probably wouldn't if they did split off and form their own party. So that's just kind of a weird consequence of the two party system. But yeah, um, the democratic party is pretty centrist. Um, it's kind of, this is a big myth in American politics where it's like, Oh, the Democrats are the left party and the Republicans are the right party. Like not really like the Democrats are more centrist center left. And the Republicans are pretty hard, right? Especially recently with a lot of their sort of immigration stuff and mm-hmm. their stuff about, um, I don't know, uh, border security and police and stuff like that. Like they have definitely gone quite a bit to the right, especially in economics too. So, okay. Um, I see a lot of people as I was watching the campaign uh, and when Bernie was still in the race, how I don't have a better word, but ganging up on him, you know, the Democratic Party, just to eliminate him from the race. Well, that's my like own opinion and a lot of people I know. And especially when he dropped out, a lot of people felt betrayed by the party. And a lot of people now when did not vote for Biden out of spite or voted for third party or did not vote at all. And when you, one of the many reasons, at least for me, when I see Joe Biden coming on the stage and saying the healthcare needs reforms, and then he says, I'm going to expand Obamacare, I, I can't help but roll my eyes and be like, oh my God, 
this is not what we need. You've been the vice president when Obamacare was introduced. It did not work. We need universal health care. Health care is a right, period. So like a lot of people on policies like that, it's kind of like he's playing that old school, like I mentioned before, democratic uh, agenda. So it just seems like a lot of people feel like they were betrayed and they're ready for a big change. Well, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, you are probably a bit more to the left than I am, but I definitely do think there's a lot of sentiment among a lot of Bernie supporters that just like politics is not working and there's a lot of money in politics, which I generally agree with. I think there is too much money in politics and that basically we need to sort of change everything and just sort of start anew. I guess um, as far as voting, actually, I think it's interesting there you hear about all these Bernie supporters that didn't vote for Biden. There are actually quite a few of them that did like, I and I mean quite a few. Like actually, the vast majority, I believe, did vote for Biden. I mean, there are definitely some who didn't, but I think it was probably more this time voted for Biden than voted for Hillary in 2016. But yeah, as far as like Biden goes and his and his record, um, I mean, it's a complicated situation. I mean, there's probably uh, I the Democrats probably could have fought harder on a lot of things, but I mean, you also did have like. There is also a thing called the Republican Party, and it's also just like so far to the right that it's like, I mean, if Bernie went in with his sort of with his Medicare for all plan, I don't know how successful he would be with that. I mean, he would have to he would have to get a supermajority and he would have to have Democrats. Well, he would either have to eliminate the filibuster and have all of the Democrats supporting it, or if he didn't eliminate the filibuster, he would have to have uh, 60% 60 of the Senate on his side, which Mm -hmm. that seems like a very steep hill to climb, especially right now, because um, because of how powerful many Republicans are, especially in sort of rural states. And I mean... There is also a lot of like cultural stuff that goes along with it too, where it's like if the sort of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party wants to move forward in any way, I really do think that they need to drop some of the sort of the defund the police stuff and that kind of stuff. Like that stuff, I mean, if you want to move people left – it's easier to move them left on economic issues. Like if you want to, if you want to get more people towards the, um, if you want to get a lot of more people towards sort of uh, universal health care and raising the minimum wage. That's a lot easier than getting people to say, let's defund the police or let's abolish ice or something like that. Like that just, that stuff does not pull well and it especially won't pull well in swing states and when you when you have politicians like AOC who are kind of muddying the waters and basically acting like they're basically like throwing like the universal health care and the Green New Deal and defunding the police, they're throwing it all into this basket. Then like a lot of people see all this and they just like think it's all just like far left socialist, mm-hmm. radical, commie stuff. So I definitely think that um, there needs to be a lot of rebranding on the part 
of many of these people. But I do think that, uh, I mean, I mean, I think that a lot of the ideas that uh, Bernie proposes, I mean, a lot of them sound pretty good, but I just think that uh, right now, I don't see a way that any of that stuff can pass through the legislature or, um, or until at least the parties change a lot. But yeah, that's just me. Yeah, I definitely like, but I've, I've viewed the people that say defund the police and all that stuff more of as like marginal radical people in the minority who are more like anarchists rather than social Democrats or socialists or whatever. But definitely, you know, like there are more Democrats that there are only Democrats basically or whatever left uh, who are saying that. So, yes, that's never going to f- get majority vote. Um, and in uh, what I want to say, and you know, with Donald Trump, and even though he lost, he still has 70 over to 72 million people voting for him. So both of the candidates really, um, you know, got people to vote. You couldn't really avoid like if you were in social media, if you go to your job or to your school or whatever, everywhere, everybody was talking about voting. So how did they get to the break this record with the voting numbers? Well, it kind of beats me. I mean, I think that a lot of it, at least for for the Republicans, I honestly don't know. I don't know why Trump got more votes now that he did in 2016. My guess would probably just be a mix of the fact that Trump really tried to appeal to Hispanics. I mean, uh, he did a lot of campaigning for them, and he did quite well with them. He didn't win them, but he did better than most Republicans have done with Hispanics. And also, um, and then as far as the Democrats, it's just like, it is kind of the, it is, uh, there are a lot of, I mean, I'm, I'm in high school, there are a lot of people my age who are like actually really big into like defunding the police or some of them say abolish the police and uh stuff like that and a lot of those people um the people who are they obviously have to be a bit older than me otherwise they wouldn't be voting but a lot of them probably were like uh i don't really like biden but i'm gonna vote for him anyway because trump is really bad and trump's not gonna do anything uh, in regards to racial justice. So I actually do think that like the racial justice and then also the coronavirus, like that was, that was kind of Trump's nail in the coffin. There's a guy who, um, I think his name's Alan Lichtman and he does mm-hmm. his, uh, 13 keys for the presidency. And it's basically this way to predict who, uh, becomes president. And the interesting thing about him is most of them's most of his keys are about like stuff like economics and foreign policy and not as much about like, did Trump have, uh, is Trump a nice guy or is Biden a nice guy or do they have good records or stuff like that? But most of it's about like specific economic situations that don't even directly relate to the candidate. And Trump would have won likely if not for COVID and uh, the a murder of George Floyd just because that the economy looked good. Now you can debate if it actually was good there. I think there's a very good debate to be had like, Oh, how actually good is the economy? But it looks good on the surface. And the fact that we weren't in a recession then 
would have had a lot of people just saying, okay, I might not like Trump's tweets, but I'll vote for him. But I think with COVID and Trump's handling of COVID, uh, the fact that he basically, we still don't have a second stimulus bill. Um, that has, yeah. uh, that is, that really ruined him. And I really don't, I don't really think that there was much he could do. He would have had to have really picked up the slack and just like, uh, he sent out stimulus bills. Uh, I know this probably would have been unpopular with many of his people, but if he like did a mask mandate, that probably would have helped him, especially with swing voters. And there is this kind of thing about Trump voters where Trump could say stuff and they'll support it. Like it doesn't even matter. Like Trump could, Trump could come out tomorrow in support of heck, I don't know the green new deal or something. And it could be the exact same Green New Deal that AOC is <laughs> proposing. And you would have probably 40 to 30 40 to 50% of Trump supporters saying, that's great. That's patriotic. That's the most American thing I've ever seen. So really, I just think that there are a lot of Trump supporters who they would have taken COVID a bit more seriously if Trump took it more seriously. And Trump... I think he... Yes, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and I think that Trump... Uh, there were times where he was like considering taking it more seriously, but he never really did. Like it took him months to wear a mask. Like that should tell you a lot. <laughs> I think he is very charismatic. You know, you have to give that credit yeah. to him. A lot of people just like how he speaks and not necessarily good or bad or whatever, but they just like him. And you know, he probably started taking it serious when he was ready to collapse on that video when he was out of the hospital, <laughs> heavy breathing after flight of steps. I don't know if you yeah. saw that. No, I saw that. I saw that. It's almost weird because, like, literally the next day he said, don't let it dominate you. <laughs> and it's like, um, I mean, not all of us have the same access to the medical care that Trump has. Like, yeah. we don't all have Walter Reed's we can go to. So... For many people, they get Trump symptoms, and they actually weren't that mild. I mean, his—I uh, believe his oxygen levels were pretty low, so uh, he was in a pretty—he had a pretty serious case of COVID. But it's just that he had good uh, medical care, and that's what allowed him to recover successfully. But yeah, I just think that uh, he was doomed there, and uh, because of his actions, and basically, I feel like he probably could have if you wanted to be like the the point where i started to see like oh this trump is definitely more likely to lose was probably around may or june where in april mm -hmm. his approval rating was pretty high because he passed the stimulus relief he did the cares act um it was a bipartisan thing so it was sort of this moment of unity for like a week but then uh, after that, things just went downhill. And uh, that was also when, like, uh, that was also when, like, uh, Biden was talking about masks. And I was just like, I don't know. I don't think there's a real way for, uh, for Trump to take it. But, yeah, I mean, I was surprised on election night. I mean, I knew about the Red Mirage, but I was still thinking, like, oh, gosh, Trump might win, actually. But then the next day came, and it's like, okay, Biden won. Makes sense. And, uh, yeah. So... The last uh, 
big thing I would like to talk about is a lot of people have been joking, but at the same time kind of serious about, you know, the civil unrest and either side rioting and fighting if that side loses. Do you see at this point anything like that possibly happening? Absolutely not. I mean, um, I don't know if I should be sharing this on the... Ah, I probably shouldn't. Um, <laughs> you can edit that out <laughs> if that's sure. all right with you. Um, yeah. But anyway, absolutely not. I do not think that there will be um, widespread unrest. I mean, if it, if the courts rule in favor of Trump, which I'd say there's a 1% chance they do, then maybe, but I really doubt it. And I mean, Trump supporters... Honestly, they're just they just feel depleted right now. They just feel really sad and they're angry and they're at but they're just like they're angry and they're at home watching One America News Network and they're watching Fox. Well, actually, they're not watching Fox News because Fox News called not the election anymore. for Biden, <laughs> but they're watching One America News Network. They're watching now a uh, Newsmax, I believe it's called Newsmax. I think that's one of the pro Trump outlets and they're listening to info wars but they're not they're not going to go out on the streets and riot you might have some who do but if they were going to do it they would have done it by now they would have and i mean you did have those protests the stop steal protests in uh michigan but those didn't really get anywhere those they just ended up looking kind of pathetic to be honest like just like marching outside of a polling place like yeah, uh, so I don't think that there's going to be widespread protests. I mean, I think there will be a sentiment among about half the Republican Party that this election was stolen, and they'll always think that no matter what. But I think we're just going to think about that the way that uh, adults think about the 2000 election, or at least liberal-leaning adults, where it's like, okay, the election was stolen, but can't really do much about that. I certainly hope you're right. And it, it is very different in California, I bet, than compared to here in Ohio. Because uh, yeah, a lot of people that, you know, support Trump here that I see are, they're harmless for most. You know, they do drive the big trucks with his flags and everything and act angry, but they don't have not at least done anything too crazy. And even though I just I can I'm afraid if he doesn't concede the loss and he makes some provocative statement, I'm afraid that because of his charisma, because of his followers, there might be something. I think that's a very I think that's a very fair point to make. Um, yeah, I'm in Washington State and there are. A, Sorry, I thought you were in California. Oh, it's fine. It's fine west coast so it's going to be very similar i'm in washington state the eastern part of washington state is very conservative super conservative basically like idaho and uh i'm in kind of i'm in tacoma so that's on the western part of washington state so it's a very liberal area although i do go to a a religious school where the student body is definitely more conservative so i think i have a decent feel for of uh trump people and a lot of them i mean i'm not going to school in person right now so i wouldn't i i'm not talking to any of them face to face but a lot of them seem to just like 
have a, they just seem to either feel kind of sad, like, oh, I'm sad the election was stolen, blah, 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 blah. Or they just are trying to be like, okay, well, we got 2024, which I mean, I feel like everyone should have that mindset um, in regard, uh, regardless of who you support. Like if Trump won, I don't, I wouldn't support like social unrest. I mean, if it was like literally stolen, like if it was, if it was objectively stolen, then like, sure, you could do like peaceful protests and stuff. But like if Trump won fair and square, the 2020 election, then like, I'd just be like, okay, 2024, it, it he's not going to be in there for life. He's not going to run for a third term. He can't. So just uh, wish him the best for 2020 and his second term and then just uh, wait till the next one. So I'm hoping that a lot of Trump supporters do that. And I actually think some of them are, but there definitely will be some who are going to peddle conspiracy theories. I mean, QAnon has gotten gotten very popular recently. And are you familiar with QAnon? Yeah, the one about the watermarks on the ballots? No, no, that, no, QAnon is, I wish that was QAnon. Uh, QAnon is way more grand than that. That was the Hollywood and children, right? Like pedophilia yeah. and all that. Yeah, yeah, it's a th- yeah. It basically, the Democratic Party is running a pedophile ring, and Trump has been appointed by God to save America from the pedophiles. <laughs> so you're gonna have people who believe that, and I know people who believe some form of that. None yes, of them are close friends, but I know people who believe some form of that, and. Uh, you're going to have those people and they're just not going to go away. But uh, I think they're largely just going to be sheltered in their online communities. You may have, you may have someone try to do some sort of um, violent act in the name of QAnon or in the name of avenging Trump or something. Over well, that happened before, years. right? The pizza gate. Yeah. The, pizza gate. the guy came into the pizza parlor and he shot up the place. Yeah, that did happen. And, that was terrible, but luckily that was only one person, I believe. So I largely yep. do think that uh, Trump supporters is just gonna kind of stop and stop with like all the sort of threats of protests and stuff. And they're just what got me really worried. What really got me worried was when they did that uh, train when Biden was driving the bu- taking the bus or whatever his. A campaign bus and how they basically harassed him off the road so that was kind of worrying to see in texas right yes that was texas um that was really worrying to see i mean that is absolutely terrible and i think that's really dumb that they did that and i don't really know what i would have done if i was in the biden bus i mean I think they, I didn't, I don't remember the whole video super closely, but I feel like it seemed like they just kind of had to get off the road. But, um, I mean, I don't really know what Trump supporters would be doing that too now. Like, I mean, I guess they could try to do something with the 2022 midterms, which, uh, if you're a Democrat, you need to start preparing for the 2022 midterms because history is not on your side when it comes to those, uh, the incumbent party always or almost always loses seats during the midterms. And Biden is going to have the House, and he might have the Senate, although he probably won't. 
So it's possible that he uh, he could lose the House in 2022. So Democrats need to start campaigning there. But uh, anyway, back to the whole bus thing. Yeah, I just don't really know what the Trump supporters would like attack right now. Like, <laughs> I mean, they could try to get near D.C., but I just don't think that's going to happen. And again, Trump, the Trump idea was born on the Internet. I think it's going to die on the Internet. I just think and I mean, eventually there's going to be someone who takes up Trump support, whether it'll be someone who's even more far right than Trump or someone who's maybe more who's maybe less far right than Trump, but has sort of the Trump personality. We'll see. Um, but yeah, it's going to be weird. And he's planning to run in 2024. So I honestly think you just have a lot of them that are just going to wait and just like excitedly wait for 2024. If he actually does say, uh, if he actually does run, because there are rumors that he's going to run in 2024. And I actually <laughs> think that's very possible that he runs. Like, I think it's a, it, I think it's a 50% chance at least that he runs. Cause he, he is an ego guy. He is just so obsessed with himself that oh, yeah. if he sees an opening in 2024, now I think he would probably lose 2024. Well, it would really depend on how president Biden has done. And, uh, Biden has talked about only serving one term. So it would be very likely that in 2024, like someone like vice president Harris would run, but it would really depend on how they did. And if they did a, if they successfully sort of guided the country out of COVID, then it would basically be a guaranteed win. If it was a lot more spotty with botched vaccine um, efforts and trouble reopening the economy, then maybe Trump has an opening. But I just do think that there are a lot of Republicans who are looking for more of the Mitt Romney type of Republican, the Mitt Romney, Nikki Haley, Marco Rubio style Republican who's more mm -hmm. polished and talks about their Christian faith and talks about their values and protecting Liberty and stuff like that. Well, uh, do you have any closing thoughts that you would like to share with our audience about half of our audience are Americans, but about the other half are pretty much from all over the world. So anything about the U.S. politics or presidential elections in general? Um, I don't really think so. I do think that we need to... Well, actually, I, I'll say some stuff. One, I do think we need to change the way here in the U.S. that we... Um, that are the way our government works. Like, for example, and all this stuff would require constitutional amendments... So this is all purely idealistic. Like none of this would ever get through. Like, for example, you need to change the Electoral College. I don't think we should get rid of it just because I feel like that would cause too much polarization. But you need to change it where you no longer have this dumb winner-take-all system where because 1% of the people, 1% of uh, more people voted for uh, Trump in a state than voted for Biden or vice versa, then Trump gets that all of those states' electoral votes, or Biden gets all of those states' electoral votes. I think that's really dumb. And then I think you should also, we need to also change um, how long our, um, our congressional terms are. Like, for example, I think that 
two year cycles for the house is not great because then it just causes everyone to spend one year campaigning and they aren't actually getting stuff done. So I think we need to change that to four years and have the midterm be the year that the House of Representatives, uh, their seats are um, they're up for election. And then I think finally, uh, you need to do term limits for the House and the Senate and the Supreme Court. Um, that too. Uh, the House should probably be something around 12 years. So it would be six two-year terms, or as I was talking about before, if you want to if we expanded them to four years, that'd be three, four year terms. And then maybe also maybe 18 years in the Senate. So maybe three, uh, six year terms in the Senate. And then also probably about 18 years in the Supreme court, just because we saw all the chaos that happened when uh, justice Ginsburg died so close to the election and yeah. Trump and the Republicans just rushed in to confirm uh, justice Barrett. And we can't just have that happening constantly. And I understand that that was a death. That was not a term thing. Although, actually, I believe that if we did have 18-year term limits, then we wouldn't have people. Then, like, uh, if we had 18-year term limits when uh, back in the 80s and the 90s, I believe Ginsburg probably would have been out of the Supreme Court by now. And she would have been replaced by someone much younger. And where this wouldn't have been such an issue. But... Besides that, I don't think there's much else to say. Um, uh, the U.S. is pretty complicated when it comes to elections, and I think that's actually what makes it really interesting. But it does it does lead to more criticism of American elections than pretty much anywhere else. Like there, I mean, I don't live in Germany, I don't live in France, but it seems like. Uh, from what I've learned about their election systems and my co-host, um, Andy, on This Week International, he knows a lot about this stuff. Um, they seem more satisfied with their electoral system just because there's more proportional representation and stuff like that. But yeah, other than that, I think I'm done. Well, uh, also speaking, uh, would you like to do a little shout out for your podcast? Yeah, I think I will. Um, <laughs> so my <laughs> podcast is called... This week, international. We talk about international politics, and we talk about um, we t kind of talk about it from an American perspective. Although we try to think of all sides while talking about it, but since we are both Americans, we do end up framing a lot of it through a kind of American way. But definitely, if you are international, still give it a listen because hopefully you'll you'll learn stuff. And we try to. Uh, give all the facts and then we present our opinions and sometimes we agree. Sometimes we disagree on the issues and it's a good, it's good. Um, we have episodes out every Wednesday. Uh, we will sometimes have episodes out on other days just in case like I have some free time and we've recorded an extra episode or I'm really busy and I couldn't get an episode out that Wednesday, but they're generally on Wednesdays, and they, we cover probably around four stories, and it we really enjoy it. So I definitely hope that you check it out. It's on Anchor, it's on Breaker, it's on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, and it's great. And hopefully, uh, if any of you are on Reddit too, we also have a uh, subreddit 
r slash uh, this week international. So if you want to check out our subreddit, that's great. And then we also do have an Instagram twi one two four zero four, and we do some fun stuff there too. So definitely check that out as well. But uh, thank you, Davud, for having me on, and we did have him on on our most recent episode of This Week International, which is just called An Hour About Azerbaijan, where we talked about the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict. And I learned a lot from him. So that was... Well, Thomas, I actually reached out to you guys on Reddit. So if you want to reach out, then you should definitely give a listen because I listened to some of the stuff, that uh, some of your episodes, and definitely learned a lot about international politics and it's always interesting to see what Americans think about because Americans play a big role in international politics. So, Yeah, there's this weird American arrogance among many that America's so big and America's so powerful that we don't have to care about the rest of the world. And a lot of people, their understanding of international politics is just like America good, uh, UK good, Russia bad, China bad. Iran bad and that's kind of it and we want to sort of talk some more about like each of the specific situations and and we'll criticize countries we'll praise countries and we love to uh uh share our opinions and hey uh a lot of the time uh you might disagree but if you do feel free to dm us again on our instagram and uh i'm we're open to having guests on so if you want to talk about some international issue that you find interesting, then definitely DM us on Instagram and we can talk about that on our podcast. Well, thank you, Thomas. I definitely learned a lot about the U.S. elections for clarifying it for everybody. <laughs>